0: Giving you the choice on how to reduce carbon emissions and move closer to Toyota's Beyond Zero Vision. Visit toyota.com slash electrified dash vehicles slash beyond dash zero vision. Toyota, let's go places. Matcha! I. Love- love matcha. So rich and smooth.
1: Do you love matcha love? Yep. Matcha love is the best in the biz. Experience the vitality of the whole tea leaf. So
2: many powerful health benefits.
1: You know what else I love? Sweet treats. You are in luck.
2: Matcha's great for baking.
1: Can you make cookies or cheesecake with matcha?
2: Yes. Or your other favorites, ice cream or madeleines. Yes. Delicious. Matcha love.
1: Get 25% off all matcha love products on itoen.com. Using code CRIME. That's code C-R-I-M-E at I-T-O-E-N dot com. Available on Amazon and itoen dot com.
2: Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio.
1: ZWB3. Elizabeth Clyde Dutton. What's up? How you be, girl?
2: I'm good. I'm good. Feeling good. Nice. Not really, but yeah, feeling good. Well, you look like
1: you're (laughs) convincingly lying.
2: Listen, listen, pal. Yes. You know what's ridiculous?
1: I do, girl. Uh Uh-huh. All but two U.S. presidents are descendants of the same British king. Wow. Right? Isn't that weird? So there's this 12-year-old girl, right, seventh grader at Monte Vista Christian School in Watsonville, California. Oh, hey. Her name, uh, Bridge de Avignon, she began studying her own lineage, her own genetic lineage. Mm-hmm. She wanted to see if she had any connections to France. Turns out her grandfather also had a 60-year-long Habit of doing genealogy, so he had lots of evidence for her to go pouring through. So for months, for like the summer, she's doing this. Right, she looks over five hundred thousand names, and she's trying to look for the presidential Adam, somebody who connects to all the presidents. Mm-hmm. I don't know why that's her thing, but that's her thing. Anyway, she finds one: John Lackland Plantagenet,
2: okay, aka
1: King John, aka the enemy of Robin Hood. Oh, aka the English king who signed the Magna Carta back in twelve fifteen. What up? Yeah. Now, Back to the U.S. presidents, though. All but two are apparently related to him. Okay. Can you guess which two are not? Kennedy? No.
2: Oh. Uh, Obama? No. Trump? No. Shoot. Um, right? Ni- Nixon? I'll
1: give you a hint. Before recently, there was only one president who was related to him.
2: So Clinton?
1: No. Nope. Bush? Biden. Oh, by the Irish, like Elizabeth, the
0: Irishman, who's president?
2: What year is it? Who's Irish
0: and probably not oh, right,
2: related to an English Kennedy, king? Kennedy, I thought, would be the one. He's, okay, not, that, so, he's
1: not as Irish as so Biden. Biden. Biden is oh, way yeah. more Irish.
2: Biden, has <laughs> so, got the map of Ireland on yeah, his face. exactly. All right, so Biden, and I need one more. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Is it pre 1900? Super
1: early. I'll give you a hint. His ancestors were Dutch. Uh,
2: I would say, uh, president. I don't know.
1: Martin Van Buren.
2: Oh, Van Buren. Good okay. old Marty.
1: Yeah, so there you and go. Beep, beep. Now, personally, I'm related to Mary Queen of Scots, so I have no English blood, and I boast about that. Just Scots and Irish. What up? Good for you. Anyway, this all makes sense to me.
2: It does make right? sense.
1: Right? It's ridiculous, though, huh? That's very... That Obama and Trump, very, they're all kin. Oh, wow.
2: You know what else is ridiculous, Aaron? What, Elizabeth?
1: Wigs. Oh, yeah. Wait, that's your crime, wigs?
0: Yeah, wigs. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: ridiculous crime a podcast about absurd and outrageous capers heists and cons it's always 99 percent murder free and 100 percent ridiculous i know you heard that i have for you today zarin a most late 90s of tales
1: oh nice that explains your hair <laughs>
2: totally have you heard of jt leroy
1: yes writer correct yes so
2: let me tell you their story please uh JT Leroy was born on October 31st, 1980 in West Virginia.
1: Halloween baby in West uh-huh. Virginia. Wow.
2: His mom Sarah was just 14 years old. Okay. Yeah. The J in JT is uh-huh. for Jeremiah and the T is for Terminator. What? Yeah. So
1: <laughs> Mama named him Terminator?
2: Yeah, because his mom was so young when she had him. She really did? Yeah. This is he amazing. he lived in a foster home until his mother turned 18. Okay. She was a drug addict and a prostitute. Oh, rough. And so she and her son, they traveled across the U.S. together, moving from truck stop to truck stop. It was a very rough life. I'm not going to get into that. Um, As JT wrote later in the New York Times, quote, When I was a child, my mother worked the strip clubs outside Orlando, Florida, and weeding out the Disney dollars from legitimate tender stuffed into her G-string was my job.
1: Oh, horrible!
2: So when he was around 13, he found himself on the streets of San Francisco. This is about 1993. So, what a year in San Francisco. It was still affordable for artists. Oh,
1: 1993? Yeah. I was there then. Tons of underground scenes. So, tell
2: me, like, it was.
1: I was a. Oh my God, you're going to beat me up with this. I was raving my ass off at the time. (laughs) I was a skateboarder who was really into raving and, like, all sorts of bad decisions. Like graffiti? Graffiti. I was a tagger. I was up, like, you could have seen me on market, like, street with big pieces. Like, yeah, I'm not going to say my name and wide? implicate myself in crimes. My pants were super wide. I still have a couple of those, like, big 40s and 42s with wide leg, like, Jenko jeans. Right, yeah, right, oh, yeah. Right. Like Okay. Yes, I was there. This I was, was that a time. Kid.
2: This was a time. And so when he got to San Francisco, JT started calling a crisis hotline that I was can't designed. I believe they were there. Right?
1: Great it was designed time.
2: for kids in trouble.
1: Mm, a lot we were there's a lot of us then
2: and so san francisco which i have a quick public service announcement do not call it San Fran.
1: <laughs> Just don't do it. It lets people know that you're from LA or other parts like that. It's yeah, like, oh, yeah, people anywhere like, else. People from LA love going. I'm going up to San no. Fran for the weekend. No, no,
2: no, no. We don't say that. So I
1: like to correct him and I give them, like we the Marshawn. We call it San Fran over here. I'm like, you go, y'all going up to Frisco? Uh-uh. Woo.
2: Now Frisco, <laughs> it, you know, I don't,
1: I don't mind that one.
2: It's not it's like older. It's not my favorite. No, no. A lot of
1: people hated it. There like, are
2: certain like neighborhoods yes. and and eras. Marshawn Lynch says
1: it. So Marshawn says it is cool man.
2: Listen, whatever Marshawn Lynch. Says i go for it. Yeah. did you know the
1: gospel of marshawn
2: i want to be his friend so badly oh my god because and you know what it all stems from mm-hmm. i once had a dream that i was in home goods mm-hmm. sniffing candles uh-huh. and i looked over and he was doing the same thing and we were, <laughs> and we were making the same gagging faces uh-huh. and laughed <laughs> <laughs> and so then i was like i woke up i'm like i gotta be this guy's natural
1: friend. affinity You so two I, I need to off. be
2: marshawn lynch's friend i hate Anyhow, to tell you this i've met him have you? Yeah, I've
1: been at his soul food place in Oakland. I met him. Like, I didn't really get to like talk and hang out with him because I was doing the whole story, and they told me to do like a Frank Sinatra as a Cole, where you don't really talk to him, you talk to oh, everyone around him. Okay. And also, when he came in, I just wanted to leave him be. So, like, I didn't even really have a moment. My respect for him was so great. I'm like, I'm not going to even bother you.
2: He's amazing. He's I've been so to cool. that restaurant, Rob Benz. Yes. Best wings ever. Oh yes, we so highly recommended. Hit yeah. it up
1: if you're ever in Oakland.
2: So number one, Marshall and Lynch, amazing. Yes. Okay, we all Two, agree on that. Don't say San Fran. Yes. Honestly, if you want to be local, call it the city. Yeah. Well, but are, you, anyway. are you
1: cool with SF? Mm, not really. Okay. Are you cool with... I'm
2: cool with very little okay. <laughs> in life.
1: <laughs> so anyway, yes. let's
2: get back to JT Leroy. Okay.
1: 1993. SF. So he's
2: calling helplines, and that's how he gets connected with this child psychologist. Hmm. Um, and when he's going through all this, he gets rescued from the San Francisco streets by an outreach worker named Emily Fraser, hmm. a.k.a. Speedy, British woman. Uh, English woman, I should say. So she she also had survived these same streets. And Speedy told the New York Times that when she first met JT, he was in a psychotic haze and, quote, would walk into cars because he couldn't see they were there. Huh. Having a rough time. So during their phone calls, the psychologist encouraged JT to write down all of these intense stories that he had been sharing. Uh, he thought it would be very cathartic. Write this down. Um, and also he had a way with words. And so the therapist, he wanted to share a story with one of his group therapy sessions of troubled teens. The story was called Balloons. It was about heroin. Mm-hmm. Apparently it was a huge hit with the kids for some reason. So this this doctor, he passed along balloons to his neighbor, too, who was a book editor. And then that neighbor passed the story along to someone else in the industry and so on and so on. And around this time, JT started going by his government uh, middle name, Terminator. <laughs> so, this is a, in the New York Times quote, Mr. Leroy began to write fan letters to authors and artists he admired, many of whom, to his surprise, wrote back. He corresponded with Sharon Olds, Mary Carr, and Dennis Cooper, all of whom eventually offered him feedback on his writing. Wow. So, he's, you know, he's making these connections. Dennis Cooper, who's going to be important in this story, he's an American writer. His themes are similar to those explored by J.T. Leroy. Sex, drugs, surrealism, punk ethos, Mm -hmm. uh, queer desire, existentialism. Mm -hmm. So J.T. generally started off his correspondence via fax. I told you this was a very 90s story. Ninety-three, I like it. Um, And if you aren't sure what a fax is, look it up. (laughs) I'm not going to explain it because it's going to make me feel even older than I am. Uh, He said that he'd been given the fax machine as a gift from a trick um, and that it was his lifeline. So he said that he would find public restrooms where he could, like, hole up in the stall and surreptitiously fax away. How these bathrooms had a working phone jack is beyond me.
1: Uh, that doesn't Does sound... Does not
2: make sense. And again, like, if you don't know what a phone jack is, look it up.
1: Yeah, so, While well, s-
2: I drown myself in a bucket of Crystal Pips. doesn't
1: sound right. You don't put a phone jack no, in the No, it doesn't
2: make any sense, but that's what he's telling people. So JT and writer Dennis Cooper, they talked a lot on the phone. This is according to Vanity Fair. Quote, Terminator told Cooper he was a huge, huge fan and wanted to interview him for a music magazine. The questions never really materialized. He seemed to mostly want to talk about himself, Cooper says, but the two struck up a phone relationship and Terminator began showing Cooper his work. Also, quote, Cooper always felt he was being used, that perhaps JT wasn't telling the truth about everything. I'd get 40 minutes of, I love you, I'd be dead if it wasn't for you, says Cooper. And then, abrupt segue, would you mind talking to this reporter for me? It was clear I was being used to legitimize this project, but I felt like, how can I begrudge this kid? I thought he was going to die any minute.
1: Hmm. Wow.
2: Cooper thought JT might die any minute because Terminator revealed to him that he had Kaposi's sarcoma as a result of HIV.
1: Oh wow! Yeah. The original diagnosis, cutaneous sarcoma, yeah, is like,
2: and he said it had disfigured him. It's as
1: basically a skin cancer that it shows up exactly as a skin all cancer. these
2: lesions, and it's um that's why he only faxed and talked on the phone. Hmm. He said he just couldn't be seen. So while he wasn't going out in public, he was churning out writing. By the time he was sixteen. JT was published regularly in nerf Remember nerf Oh, yeah,
1: totally. And
2: New York Press. Um, in 97, a short story of his called Baby Doll was published in an anthology called Close to the Bone. Mm. By 17, he had a book deal. Oh, my God. And, he, and He's had, not even
1: doing crimes, and he got a book deal. Look book. at that. I
2: know. Uh, he had his uncle sign the deal for him. Okay. So his advance was about $24,000. And $24,000 in 97 is like $45,000 today, which is a pretty healthy advance, yeah. particularly for a first-time author who happens to 17. They don't even get advances like
1: that now. No. Um,
2: so when he was 19, the British magazine The Face called him a literary wunderkind. The Face. Yeah. He was the literary talent of the day, especially for those in, like, the underground spaces.
1: Exactly. And in the 90s were very, you know, it was lack of a better word, very grungy in terms of all things being, like, dirty indie. And scenes. Indie and and, and, yes. Yeah,
2: exactly. And, and I, I remember stuff. the buzz around him at that time. Yes. He was a cult hero. Mm-hmm. So... Everyone wanted a piece of him, and they wanted him at events, but he would never appear. According to a 2005 New York Magazine article, in 1999, J.T. asked a friend of his to impersonate him at readings because he was so nervous. Quote, He recommended I rent Bastard out of Carolina and study the accents, but I never did, and my attempt was half-hearted and weak. But then he came up with the idea of having celebrities do the reading for him. Because, like, don't forget, he's from West Virginia, so he mm. has a southern accent.
1: And a very pronounced accent. West Virginia is a very mm-hmm. noticeable accent.
2: So celebrities. Mm-hmm. Did I mention celebrities? Celebs. We
1: love them. You know,
2: you you hit us with the celebrities on Tuesday. It's I got celebrity
1: some. week, Elizabeth. But you
2: had, like, the glossy, you know, 2006. To yes, the, you young know, like, Hollywood. No, I'm, I'm talking about, like you said, the grungy indie. Um, ah. There were a lot in JT Leroy's orbit. We're talking Winona Ryder. Okay. Eddie Vedder. Bono,
1: Iggy Pop, Nick Tom Cage. Waits,
2: Tom Calvin Waits. Klein, <laughs> okay. Sandra Bernhardt, mm-hmm. uh, Madonna, Shirley Manson of Garbage, oh, yes. Gus Van Sant, oh of course, Marianne Faithful, Debbie Harry, a River Lou Phoenix, Reed, Lou Reed, Rufus Wainwright, old well, River oh, wow. Phoenix had passed by then. Oh, by 93? Um Yeah, wasn't it 90, 94? I think, I, I
1: think yeah. I think but it was either way, but this anyway, is yeah. so. This
2: is like you know he was thirteen then, sure. so fourteen and yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um, Rosario Dawson, Michael Stipe. John Waters. Wow. Uh Stephen Jenkins from Dude. what is it? What band is that? Third Eye Blind? Is yeah, I that? guess so. Uh Carrie Fisher. Yes. And Courtney Love.
1: Oh wow. So this is this <laughs> variable of the moment. Who's
2: who of late nineties? <laughs> pseudo Pseudo-edgy. Yeah, edgy cool people cats. like Carrie Fisher. Yeah. So his uh, JT's first novel, Sarah, was published in two thousand. Okay, he was just twenty years old. Damn. Uh, the book was supposed to be a fictionalized account of his childhood as a prostitute at truck stops throughout the South. Mm-hmm. Um, Heidi Benson wrote for SF Gate. Quote. Praise poured in from well known authors. Mary Gateskill called it a quote wildly comic tour de force and a brilliant debut. Hmm. Dennis Cooper called it a revelation. Among those thanked in the book's acknowledgments are Art Spiegelman, Sharon Olds, and Tobias Wolfe. Wow. Yeah. Vanity Fair in the introduction to an interview between J.T. and Tom Waits, <laughs> called J.T., quote, the brilliant, gifted, and profound fly on the wall. He is the witness to all the tales that go on in the dark. And for all of us, long may he have the courage to remember. So
1: all, for all those of you who missed Jim Harrison, here you go. Yes, exactly.
2: <laughs> so uh, Tom Waits said to J.T. in the interview, quote, The world is a hellish place, and bad writing is destroying the quality of our suffering. Hmm. It cheapens and degrades the human experience when it should inspire and elevate. You are an exception. So just getting, like, high praise. Totally. Gus Van Zandt, director Gus Van Zandt, he got pulled into JT's thrall, which makes sense seeing has that, how their aesthetics are, like, spot-on yeah. to each other. And
1: also, yeah, with all the male hustler stuff where he's interested in that vibe of, like, Completely. exchanging intimacy for...
2: Completely. Yeah. And, like, they're saying, like, everything that goes on in the dark, all uh-huh. this, like, dark exactly. underbelly. So um, Van Zandt wanted to option the rights and adapt Sarah into a movie. Okay. So he met with JT and Speedy about this. Remember Speedy? Yeah. Uh, the street kid turned advocate who mm-hmm. helped save JT. She was right there. The one right who first there. saved
1: him from rowing, walking into cars. Yeah,
2: exactly. So she was right there with him through everything. Hmm. Van Zant, he never ended up optioning Sarah, but JT did apparently write the first draft of his movie Elephant, okay. which won the Palm d'Or at 2003 Cannes wow. Film Festival. None of his script made it into the final edit, um, but he did nab an associate producer credit. Is that
1: the one about uh, the little the the Colorado shooting? I the, uh, think so. Yeah, yeah. Littleton. Yeah,
2: um, he JT was working on an animated children's movie and an indie TV series. He had this massive online following. He had his email address printed in his books, and he encouraged his fans to reach out. They called themselves Termies.
1: <laughs> it's not as cool as Rude Dudes, but I'll get to them. <laughs> termies of Endearment.
2: Termies. In two thousand one, the heart is deceitful above all things was published. Hmm. So this was a collection of short stories that was written to be a prelude to Sarah. Okay. Um, after that book came out, Asia Argento, the actress slash director and daughter of Italian horror uh, mm-hmm. movie director Dario Argento, yes. she wanted to option the book for film. And so Speedy and JT went to Italy to kind of like settle this yeah. deal.
1: Speaking of dark energy. <laughs>
2: right? Oh, my God. So during this trip, um, JT did his first live reading, mm-hmm. and he was so nervous because apparently he was huge in Italy. Oh, I can um, see that he's so nervous that he hid under a table and did the reading from there. What? And the crowd just ate it up. They loved this. Oh like it just fits the in. The preciousness,
1: with or like the artiste, totally the
2: preciousness. So JT and Azia ended up having a bit of a thing. Oh, and both on the phone and in person over a couple of visits, and there was even a rumor that JT had fathered Azia's child. Whoa! Yeah. Uh, So J.T. and Azia, they worked together to adapt the book into a screenplay, The Heart is Deceitful. She told The Guardian, quote, I love J.T. truly as a friend. He's somebody who will be in my life forever. It wouldn't have been the same film if we didn't trust each other. So, I don't trust
1: her. This, this is, is interesting. This is like this
2: meteoric rise. Yeah, yes. right? Yeah. It's <laughs> so a saying. little bit. Yeah. So besides directing, she also starred in the movie as JT's mother, Sarah. Wow. Um, the movie premiered at Cannes in 2004, and it was released in the States in 2006. The reviews? Not so good. Mixed? Yeah. The New York <laughs> Times wrote, quote, viewer discretion is advised, <laughs> if only because it's well nigh unwatchable. Ooh, Ouch. Damn. Yeah. So in 2004, his third book came out. Um, it was called Harold's End, and it was about a young prostitute who adopts a pet snail. Of course. Okay. I
1: love those stories.
2: Um, So he signed with Viking for another book. He optioned the film rights to Sarah. He wrote a piece for the New York Times called The Sophisticated Traveler. Uncle Walt, parlez-vous (laughs) français?
1: Great title. This
2: piece was about a trip to Disneyland Paris, which was paid for by the New York Times, that he took with Speedy, Uh her husband Aster, and then their then eight-year-old son, Thor. Wow. It's kind of a weird assignment. What a group. Yeah. So uh, as his fame grew... So, did a desire for public appearances. You know, he's got to do this. Hand in hand. But like JT's not comfortable with appearing in public still, you know, the skin and everything. Oh, is the
1: skin still bad?
2: I guess. But he was willing to power through for the sake of his fans. Okay. Per Vanity Fair, quote, A waif-like, androgynous figure hiding behind sunglasses, big blonde wigs, and a girlish whispering voice, he would sit tremulously to the side as a coterie of famous, mostly female admirers. JT went on European tours, attended splashy parties with rock bands, took home racks of free designer clothes, and appeared in a feature in an Abercrombie & Fitch catalog.
1: Oh, I thought you were going to say a Vincent Gallo film. Oh, my God. That's (laughs)
2: who's missing from this. Well, he got over all this anxiety pretty
1: quick. Okay.
2: Let's take a break, rude dudes. All right. When we come back, we'll continue to follow J.T. Leroy's meteoric rise and eventually get to some legal entanglements.
1: Ooh.
0: Go to lifelock.com slash iHeart and save up to 25% your first year. That's 25% off at lifelock.com slash iHeart. Identity theft protection starts here. Matcha! it. matcha so rich and smooth do you love
1: matcha love
2: yep matcha love is the best in the biz experience the vitality of the whole tea leaf so many powerful health benefits
1: you know what else i love sweet treats you are in luck matcha is great for baking can you make cookies or cheesecake with matcha
2: yes or your other favorites ice cream or madeleines yes
1: delicious matcha love get 25% off all matcha love products on etouin.com Using code CRIME. That's code C-R-I-M-E at I-T-O-E-N dot com. Available on Amazon and itoen.com.
2: Welcome. Elizabeth. Zaman. We're talking JT Leroy today. Yeah, we are. Uh, I think you know where I'm going with all this.
1: Maybe. I, I, I kind of do, yes.
2: Friends. I won't lie. There was no J.T. Leroy. No. He did not exist. He was the creation of a woman named Laura Albert, a.k.a. Speedy. (laughs) So Laura Albert? I saved myself from the streets. (laughs) Laura Albert was born in 1965. She grew up in Brooklyn, New York. Mm -hmm. She had a really rough childhood. Um, She was abused at home, bullied at school. Her first case of inventing someone happened when she was 12. She was into this neighborhood kid, Ray. Like, she had this huge crush on him. But she was sure that he would never like her back. So she called him and said that she was a blonde Swedish friend of hers named Katrin. And she just happened to be visiting Laura while being super attractive. She just wanted to chat. Um, And they talked every day, but they never met. And Katrin eventually told Ray that she was dying of cancer. Then Laura broke the news to Ray that Katrin had died. So... (laughs) It's, it's it's heartbreaking for a bodacious blonde to visit from another <laughs> to visit from another land, get cancer, and then die.
1: It's tragic. I
2: hate when that happens. Um, she left universal health care to come here and go into death.
1: Debt. <laughs> we lost all that bodaciousness. Such a
2: bad move. So Laura dropped out of school when she was thirteen, and her mm-hmm. mom checked her into a psychiatric ward. When she got out, she wouldn't leave her room. She felt like this misfit, like she didn't fit in. But she pretty soon found out that there was a place for troubled misfits for the ones who just didn't fit in. A place where you could be accepted and be whatever, whoever you wanted to be. That place, the New York City punk scene.
1: Oh. God bless it. Yes.
2: So she loved the lifestyle of it. um, But she still had, like, so much body shame that she didn't want to go in person. I feel you, sister. Hmm. So instead of going, she recruited her sister Joanna to go in her place And so Laura got her all dolled up and told her that, you know, who she should talk to and, like, who she should meet.
1: She prepped her for the scene.
2: Yeah. And then Joanna would come back and report everything back to her. Wow. That's
1: fascinating. So
2: 1989, she moved to San Francisco. Okay. And she worked a lot of odd jobs. A maid, a babysitter, a phone sex operator, a Mm -hmm. blood donor. And it was while she was working the phone sex line that she perfected the Southern accent that she would later use as JT in her seemingly endless phone calls with therapists and celebrities alike. Zarin, close your eyes. Oh,
1: you suck it up on me.
2: I want you to picture it. eyes are closed. It's 1990. Dateline, San Francisco. You are a burgeoning private eye, trying your best to be the Northern California Anthony Pelicano. Yes. You have tapped the phone of a local electronics mogul. No, he's not in tech. He owns an electronics store. <laughs> his wife has hired you to catch him cheating. So there you are, holed up in your office south of market, listening in on the phone calls he makes from his office at the back of the store. You hear the line engage and a number get dialed. It rings. Well, hello there, darling, a voice with a syrupy and exaggerated southern accent draws. Uh, is this a dial of fantasy? Oh, no, you think to yourself, I do not want to hear this. But the wife may be interested, so you keep listening. It sure is. What can I do you for? Um, is there someone I can talk to who doesn't have the uh, accent? No, honey, I'm the only one here. Is, is that a TV on in the background? You can hear it too. Is that heval? <laughs> tell me what you like, sugar. Don't you want to describe to me your armpits? <laughs> what? No, I think I've made a mistake. No, don't hang up. Just tell me about your armpits. <laughs> You know what? I'm going to
1: stop this before it gets worse, Aaron.
2: Uh, so anyway,
1: <laughs> you just opted out of your own.
2: Yeah, I opted out. It was gone. It went too far.
1: Deep in the pit.
2: <laughs> we did a lot of pit play. So Laura began calling suicide hotlines mm-hmm. under the personas of like various teenage boys, just
1: pretending, just like yeah. work on her act.
2: Yeah, to to work out wow. the bit. One of them was JT, this character that she created. That's the one that landed for her. Um, She met a guy named Jeff in 1989, and they hooked up and started writing songs together. They started a band, and they called it Daddy Don't Go. Jesus. Which is like the most late 80s, early 90s Seriously? San Francisco band. Um, so Laura, she was like a natural at faking her identity. So she'd like pretend to be the band's publicist and call around and get them gigs oh, yeah. press coverage. Oh, yeah. That coverage. was very common. So Laura reached out to Dennis Cooper in 1996. Okay. Like she's super into his writing but thought he, that he didn't want to hear from some lady in her 30s. Um, she thought that he'd want to connect with someone more like himself. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he, she reaches out as JT. Uh, In that Paris Review interview, she said, quote, He was someone I revered, but when I read my work to him on the phone, I understood that as much as he liked my writing, he was also turned on. He thought he was talking to a 13-year-old boy, and he was always inviting me to his house. I thought, sexual attention is better than no attention. I'd learned on the street from outreach workers that if you get into a dangerous sexual situation, you just tell the man you have AIDS. That was the last resort survival strategy. So I finally put the brakes on and I said I had AIDS and sores all over my body. It didn't phase him at all.
1: Oh my. So she, this is a huge
2: accusation against Dennis Cooper. You need to give
1: me a second. I need to pick my jaw up (laughs) and put it backwards somewhere useful. Oh yeah. wow! And
2: like uh, anyway, so
1: the '90s of all that jumped out, and he's right, on top of it But then him. here she's telling all me. these tales Dude. on Dennis Cooper. So, oh yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah.
2: So she enrolls in writing classes at City College of San Francisco.
1: Did he ever like? reputed it like alligator to speak to them?
2: I think I think he did, but I don't have it. Okay, yeah, I was just curious. Yes. (laughs) Horrible. Wow. I just wanna know if he was
1: alive or dead essentially. Yeah, Yeah. no, he's
2: alive. Um so she didn't have a computer. Mm -hmm. So she'd write her assignments by hand and then fax it to a friend who would transcribe with a word processor and fax it back. Which seems like a lot of work when Mm -hmm. like even in the 90s colleges had computer labs on campus free for use. Totally. And libraries did too. Yeah, exactly. Whatever. Uh, What I've learned about Laura Albert is that she 100% never let the truth get in the way of a good story.
1: Yes. Yeah. Definitely. So One of my people. She
2: buckled down. She wrote Sarah in a six-month marathon after her son was born in 1997. She said she felt that JT wanted to write, so she went along with it. Yeah, she was. Ha- oh. She caught the spirit of it.
1: Oh wow! The t- characters were really were speaking. Yeah.
2: In two thousand five, the creator of Deadwood, David Milch, oh, yeah, reached out to Laura Slash Speedy. Um, he wanted JT to write for the show, and so for that Deadwood. would yeah, that would have been pretty rad. So wow. Laura, huge fan of the show, like. Super into it. Yeah. She was so geeked to have the opportunity to work on her favorite show and talk to its creator that she spilled the beans to him.
1: No. Oh girl. She no. told him, like, hey, guess what? I'm JT. No, you have to forget the truth. And you, then you the writing not, gig,
2: poof. Yeah, of course. I mean, <laughs> like, he didn't tell anyone though.
1: Well, um, and okay, by that it's time charitable of it. Yeah,
2: around that time, like twenty or thirty people knew about the secret. Mostly ah. like friends and family. Including, oddly enough, Billy Corgan.
1: What? He's a weird one, dude. Oh, Smashing Pumpkins? Yeah. He's
2: like a super conspiracy guy now, and yeah. he's really conservative. He, he's
1: a weird one in a group of weird ones.
2: Yeah. I, I heard that the, uh, that Smashing Pumpkins played like a Disney thing recently. Yeah, yeah no,
1: he's, he's actually like a spokesperson for them. You'll yeah, see like him, a like, holiday like, thing at yes, the park. He does. Is there,
2: everything is just so weird now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> just over
2: it. Uh, anyway... It was about this time that Laura and Jeff separated. Yes. Uh, He broke it off because of, like, the stress of the whole thing was just getting to him. Okay. Sooner or later, people were going to find out. And Laura just kept digging them deeper and deeper. It all had to come crashing down, though. So in October of 2005, New York Magazine published a piece by Stephen Beachy called, Who is the Real J.T. Leroy? Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh, exactly. So the article pointed out a lot of the hinky stuff surrounding Leroy. There was a whole, like, that whole physical persona issue. Yeah. Yeah. Um, By the way, who was this appearing as him? Yeah. Um, That, my loves, Uh is Savannah Canoop.
1: Savannah Canoop.
2: Savannah is Jeff's sister.
1: Okay. Yeah. And she could believably do the accent.
2: Right. Yeah, exactly, and mm-hmm. so and wore like a big glasses, totally. big blonde and a wig. wig. Yeah, Savannah identifies as non-binary now, okay. but at the time, uh, was using she/her pronouns. But I'm just going to go with they okay. for all this. I like that. It's you know, it's important to be conscientious about pronouns. I I, totally. I, I didn't get that right away. Yeah. Like I didn't understand it, and it's not like I wanted to like misgender anyone. I just didn't get why it mattered because mm-hmm. like I don't care if you call me. Her, him, whatever. Mm-hmm. What do I care? Um, but for like those to whom it does mean a lot, you know, it's lot, it's yeah. a really small effort on my part for like a big acknowledgement and show of respect. Totally. What's it's, like, go ahead. It's kinda like, you know, when there was just Miss and mrs mm-hmm. and like women decided to use Ms. Yes and a lot of people were upset and they didn't they make know jokes why, about it. when yeah, exactly. And now it's the default, mm-hmm. which is
1: amazing. So also it reminds me of uh <clears throat> okay. I have friends, you know, we all have friends who get married. And mm-hmm. then when they get married, they take on a new name. But yeah. if I know them by their old name and say their old last name was one of the nicknames I used, it would be rude of me to continue calling them by the nickname I prefer right. because that's how I know them. Yeah. When the person goes through a transformation, you got to like honor that if you care about them. So I totally get that. Well, it's and like, if it
2: matters to them, it matters to me. Exactly. Yeah. So like if you're the type to bristle at the pronoun thing, ask yourself why it bothers you. Like, Mm. it's just a kindness you show others. Always take the opportunity to show a kindness. Well said, Claude. Thank you. So anyway, Savannah. In 2001, Laura turned to Savannah and asked them to be JT in public. So Savannah fit the bill because they were more androgynous looking and, like, super charming, like crazy magnetic. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, Laura said Savannah, quote, had this amazing spark, a star quality. Savannah picked up the accent quickly, but, quote, it took her a long time to commit to being JT. How so? Well, it was just difficult. It was like this weird transformation. So
1: also, it's a kind of horrendous the, background. You got to always talk about pain and exactly, trauma, and a lot exactly. of exactly. You have to be able to people are getting questions. excited about hearing these stories,
2: right? Bad blonde wig. Mm -hmm. And you know how I love a bad wig.
1: Yeah, we both do, girl. Hat,
2: sunglasses. (laughs) They also bound their chest to kind of pass for for male. Mm -hmm. Um, They were able to nail the Southern accent, but they got by most of the time by just not saying anything at all. That's smart. Yeah. And it reinforced that shy persona, right? So, but here's the thing, like Savannah didn't have any lesions on their skin.
1: But like my question, you assume as success comes, maybe they could do some dermatological sure. work that they couldn't like afford before or, or whatever. So yeah. there's a, an ex, a lot of us who are dumb would think, well, of course <laughs> they don't longer have that. They're famous now.
2: Totally so. totally. so back to that October 2005 New York Magazine piece, Who is the Real J.T. Yes, Leroy. who
1: is the real J.T. Um
2: It talked about the questions and all the discrepancies around J.T.'s physical appearance. Mm -hmm. There was nothing definitive in it, but it did point out, quote, every trail I followed led me to Laura. Hmm. So it's all coming back. So people who interacted with JT regularly noticed that his phone presence, charming, thoughtful, seductive, was nothing like how he was in person. Uh, In person, quiet, shy, kind of like over the whole meeting people that he had talked to and written to for years. So it's not even oh, like in public.
1: Yeah, it's the people who they've been charming with yeah, on the phone all sudden, for all this time. they're like, meeting them in
2: person, it doesn't make sense. They,
1: they don't hold that vibe at all.
2: Yeah, exactly. That
1: would be really off-putting. You would immediately think lie or like crazy drug habit. Like- <laughs> oh my
2: God, totally. So um, in that Heidi Benson Gate piece, she mm-hmm. writes, quote, the expose originally written for the San Francisco Bay Guardian, whose editors didn't think the story was ready for publication, so Beachy's agent placed it with New York, inspired a flurry of follow-up stories and created chatter equal to that sparked by Leroy's celebrity relationships. Damn. Yeah. So Beachy did speak with someone who's supposed to be JT for the piece. He asked about all the questions surrounding his identity. Quote, JT wouldn't confirm or deny it, although as we spoke for more than an hour, it felt to me that I was speaking to Laura. And it felt like both of us knew that and that this was a novel and disturbing experience for us both. (laughs) He, she... Spoke about metaphorical truth, about purity of intent, and a commitment to writing. She, he seemed to be both justifying the performance and asking not to be exposed. Hmm. Such a strange, like, psychological yeah. whatever. And
1: also the idea that they can get people, like, on board with them yeah. like, to protect them. They're yeah,
2: like- exactly. Um Even without hard proof, the article was a bombshell. Oh, yeah. Laura and Savannah went into damage control mode. They assured all of the celebrity pals that JT did in fact exist and that Stephen Beachy just jealous, just a jealous fella.
1: That doesn't hold up to scrutiny. No. He's just jealous.
2: The smell, though, was in the air. Oh, yes. And the New York Times. Alluring as it is. Yeah. Enter the New York Times. Oh, yeah. According to that SFGate article, quote, Soon after the article ran, they killed a story Leroy had written for its November travel section. They asked him to show identification, and he refused. They asked me for my passport, my social security card, Leroy told Women's Wear Daily. They knew exactly what they were getting when they dealt with me. I've always played with identity and gender. Oh, I've always
1: played with identity and gender. And gender. So
2: let's take a break.
1: That's a big conflation.
2: When we come back, we'll get to the moment we've known is coming. The moment we've all been waiting for. The public exposure of the Uh, hoax. Matcha! matcha so rich and smooth
1: do you love matcha love yep matcha love is the best in the biz experience the vitality of the whole tea leaf so many
2: powerful health benefits
1: you know what else i love sweet treats you are in luck Matcha's
2: great for baking
1: can you make cookies or cheesecake with matcha
2: yes or your other favorites ice cream or metal ends yes delicious matcha love
1: get 25 percent off all matcha love products on itoen.com Using code CRIME. That's code C-R-I-M-E at I-T-O-E-N Available on Amazon and itoen.com.
2: Okay, dude.
1: Yo, what up, girl? What's
2: up? Monday, January 9th. (laughs) Wednesday, weekend. Uh, Happy days. Now it's going to be my head. Totally, you're welcome. Thank you. Um, On Monday, January 9th, 2006, the New York Times published a piece by the writer Warren St. John. Mm. The title? The Unmasking of J.T. Leroy. In public, he is a she. Ooh. Yeah.
1: Ooh, I mean, like the whole attitude of unmasking and I then and ending on that. I mean, yeah. that's just...
2: So St. John had been burned uh, already. He'd yeah, you writ- can hear it in totally. the title. He'd written a feature on JT I was just about to say. in the Times two years prior mm-hmm. in 2004. You made me look silly. Exactly. He interviewed JT on the phone and in person. Oh. So St. John was determined to get the, to the bottom of the story now and that the Beachy article lent his
1: imprimatur to them, so they're really mad oh, about it. Yeah. He's really mad about that. Yeah.
2: So St. John, he uncovers a 2003 photo of Savannah Canoop as Savannah Mm -hmm. at an opening of a clothing store in San Francisco. Okay. So St. John then showed that photo to the other person in the picture, JT's agent, his business manager, and Lily Bright, who was a producer for the film directed by Asia Argento. Mm -hmm. They all identified Savannah as JT. Mm Mm-hmm. So, like, so much for those Argento paternity rumors, right? Those were ap- <laughs> apparently started by Laura.
1: Oh, I was wondering why Ajay yeah. would go along with exactly or how that would bubble up.
2: Well, and also remember that piece about Disneyland Paris. Mm-hmm. St. John looked into the expense report for that trip since the New York Times had paid for everything. Oh,
1: yes, I was wondering.
2: It only listed airfare for three people, not four.
1: Yes, and then hotel and remember rooms it was and... supposed
2: to be JT yes, Speedy, father, Speedy's husband, and Thor. Yeah. Yeah, so um, he then got in touch with the staff at Disneyland Paris and two Paris hotels where they stayed. They recognized Laura and said only her husband and son were traveling with her. So no one who resembled Savannah slash JT.
1: They talk about a woman scorned, but a reporter (laughs) scorned. Exactly.
2: So St. John reaches out to JT's lawyer to ask about JT's identity. Mm -hmm. The lawyer sent him a statement from JT that said, quote, as a transgendered human subject to attacks, I use stand-ins to protect my identity. Yeah. Like, bridge too far. Yeah,
1: come Laura. on now. You're, you're really putting a lot of other people...
2: Exactly. ...into
1: a, a risk of being questioned and uh-huh. challenged. And really, I mean, that's really selfish.
2: It's really, really <laughs> selfish. Um, so the article came out, mm-hmm. and things were looking grim. Courtney Love... Uh, you know <laughs>
1: she's gonna be the voice of reason in this.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, so Next. she she was My now girl. in on the secret. <laughs> what she got to say? She told Laura a.k.a. Speedy that she should go on Oprah because quote America loves redemption. And Love, Courtney Love was like, I'll go with you. She's like, look, I've been through you. it.
1: I can tell you redemption works yeah. even for a girl like me.
2: Exactly. Laura refused. Okay. obviously. So um, she said, quote, I wouldn't play that game. I wouldn't get up there and say, I have sinned against culture. I have transgressed. I'm sorry. I'm going to rehab. No, I wasn't a sinner. That was my lifeline. JT kept me alive.
1: I, I see their point. I mean, honestly, I, I totally see their point, but. For them, but then they're <laughs> but then they're moving that to the rest of the world and insisting it's true there exactly. too, and that's just not
2: exactly. So in February of two thousand six, Jeff confirmed the whole story to the New York Times. Okay. Quote: In their interview, Mr. Canoop outlined the origin and execution of the scheme, which he said was motivated initially by his and Ms. Albert's shared desire to have their artistic work, his music and her writing, acknowledged by a wider audience.
1: We did it to get some fame, yeah,
2: Jeff. Also said that he ran the day-to-day business for JT. Mm -hmm. And in a later interview, he said that he had been, quote, like a vice president equivalent. Of course, who knows if he's telling the truth. He was trying to get in on the reveal by shopping books and appearances. Oh, God. Yeah, everyone's just, like, craven. Speaking Uh, to Interview Magazine, Laura gave some context around that time. Quote, There was a perfect storm at the New York Times then. they just had the scandals with Jason Blair and weapons of mass destruction and Judith Miller. And it was right around the time of James Fry. You have to contextualize it. Their credibility was already being questioned. And then they had JT write for the Times. And what did I cover for them? Disneyland Paris. You know, what really makes me sad was that my books had meant so much to so many people. And now they were being encouraged to think, oh, she was lying. She's laughing at you. You've been tricked.
1: That's what happens. That's exactly what happens. That's, That's why. You know who got tricked? Who?
2: Asia Argento. Oh,
1: damn straight.
2: In 2016, she said, quote, it's the most shocking thing that's happened to me in my life. And believe me, I'm the queen of shock. Not even my father could come up with such an intricate plot. It is something I cannot forgive. I couldn't do movies as a director for 10 years because I've been fooled. I'm a fool. How could I not see it? It made me feel worthless, to be honest. I didn't have a lot of self-esteem after that. It took me a long time to rebuild it. I was lost. So forgiveness, it's a beautiful thing of saints and martyrs, but I can't let it go. I was f-ing manipulated. It's time for me to say that.
1: Wow. Now let me get at Anthony Bourdain and ruin his life. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Sorry, I just. Every time I hear, I,
1: I I don't know the truth of that. I honestly no, no, nobody does. We don't does, know. We don't but know. from the outside, I I find it to be a, a dark influence. Huh. That that uh th- this queen of shock. I can see how she was hurt and she needed to have people be around her, and I can mm-hmm. see how they could be sucked into all of this. So right. there's, a, there's a lot there's of there's a uh, lot going, a lot of moving parts of, of emotions and darkness swirling.
2: Yes, exactly. Jeez. Well, it's an Argento. Yeah. Um, the Guardian asked Savannah if they felt bad about lying to Asia Argento. Quote. I spent enough time with her at the end so that basically I felt like we connected on so many other things. And it was this whole thing. At some point, I told Azia that she could call me Savannah. I don't know why. Huh. Yeah.
1: So. So when they're hanging out in person. Yeah. A lot. A lot. Like, how? I don't understand. Okay. I, yeah. I just don't know. I don't get it. I mean, Who knows?
2: Uh, so JT's literary agent? Uh-huh. Livid. Absolutely livid. He they, wanted, didn't,
1: they didn't know No, either. he
2: wanted an apology. Uh-huh. So the story about JT having AIDS to invoke sympathy was just too much for him. Oh. Just couldn't do it. Oh, yeah. Laura wouldn't apologize. Instead, wow. she sent him an email saying that Richard Gere should play him in the movie. And she signed it, with love, us all.
1: Oh. My. Yeah. God.
2: She later said, quote, I didn't deny the rumors, but I never made any statement intended to further JT's popularity by claiming he had AIDS. Like, just wading into that water at all.
1: I have a cousin who's like this, and he's he's like, I'm getting the feelings I get when they used to tell me, look, I didn't say that. I mean, if you believe that and I didn't correct it, that's not my fault. Yeah, yeah. whoa, you knew I thought that.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. L.A. Weekly asked the agent if he would have represented Laura had she queried as Laura Albert. He said, quote, It would have been no if it had been Laura Albert. I find her unpleasant. And, you know, there's a big difference between helping a young man and someone whose careerism becomes bigger than the work itself. Look, I understand if you're a kid and you've been shat upon, then having the attention of celebrities is okay. This might be your biggest redemption. Ooh, I talked to Madonna, but when it's a 40 year old adult, no. <laughs>
1: get out the butter knife and get to work. <laughs> I
2: know. Carve so, out the
1: heart with a rusty spoon. That I, was amazing. <laughs> wasn't that
2: good? The disgust was not universal. Uh-huh. Shirley Manson of the band Garbage wrote in the, on the band's blog, which, remember, blogs. Band's
1: blogs. Quote, wow. I
2: suppose you will have read all the controversy about JT in the press. Suffice to say that the books remain a marvel, and whoever wrote them is still a genius, whether they are a man, a woman, or a wildebeest. It's perfectly fair that people are confused and up in arms about it, but if you've read the books and understand them, why on earth would you ever assume that the person who wrote them was your regular nine to five cookie cutter Joe?
1: They make some, I mean, she makes some good points about the whole situation, but at the same time, like, I'm a big believer that uh, any writer can write the story of any person, but it's how you choose to mm-hmm. do that that's really important. You can't then borrow their voice and write as Completely. them. And you have, have the to public write, persona. Exactly. You have to write from the standpoint of knowingly, with the reader aware, I am an outsider talking about something. Totally. I am somebody in parallel talking about something. It can't be, I am that, you know? Yeah, like, you exactly.
2: Just, well, Gus Van Zandt said, quote, I still kind of believe that he exists, just not in the flesh. I think he exists in Laura's head. Either it's something she obsessively works on as a character or it's something she can't help but work on.
1: Well, it reminds me of Beyonce's Sasha Fierce. Yes. Is Sasha Fierce real or, or not? You when know... you see her on stage, that's Sasha Fierce. Well, or is it's... that a real person?
2: What about Chris Gaines?
1: Oh, you want to take it there? (laughs) Garth Brooks, Chris Gaines. (laughs) Is that a real person? Is that a real person? His
2: experiences.
1: Chris Gaines is the real one and Garth Brooks is the character. (gasps) Yes, he
2: is the avatar. See,
1: that's his truth, Elizabeth. Here's
2: what comedian Margaret Cho wrote on her blog, which like San Francisco 90s. 90s, San Francisco of it all. Jolt of that. Quote, I love JT Leroy, whether he is she, whether he, she rolled Johns or publishers, whether the stories are true or make believe. Yeah, okay. I love
1: that same opinion.
2: Here's what Laura says. Quote, I reject uh, the word hoax. To me, a hoax is something you do for an opening weekend to get people into a movie. For me, it wasn't like that. It was Jeremiah's true story as told to me. The thing is, I realized that JT's world was so complete it didn't need me. It was self-sustaining. There were holes in it, but the emotional truth was so present that people stayed in that world. I was able to move into myself. A magician throws the light and hides an elephant in the dark. I was able to throw the attention.
1: Hasan Minhaj got in trouble with this when he was using it for his comedy. Uh where He told a story, but then he changed it with his emotional truth to make it more resonant than the actual facts would move. But that's, that's a slippery slope because once you do that, it calls into question all your other facts.
2: Well, right. And here's what else she said. Quote, many people were inspired that someone so young could write what I was writing. Mm -hmm. JT is 15 years younger than me. All I can say is I'm sorry if people are disappointed or offended. If knowing that I'm 15 years older than Jeremy devalues the work, then I'm sorry they feel that way. I'm totally aware it sounds wacky, but I never really thought of it in terms of right or wrong, truth or lie. It was more like two computer programs running in my head. There was him and there was me.
1: I get that. I I I totally get what they're saying about... To their to their experience. But as, mm-hmm. I, as I said earlier, that can be true for you. But once you go and connect to others, to readers in particular, right. now it's a different expectation. For you, yes, computer programs running in your head, whatever. Sure. I get that.
2: But when you go out, you know what else it becomes? Fraud. A
1: lie. Yes, so, it's a fraud, exactly. By
2: the time of the reveal, a production company, Antidote International Films, had signed a contract to option the rights to Sarah. Mm-mm. And Laura, as JT, got paid $24,000. Uh-oh. Antidote spent $110,000 working on the film, mm-hmm. so they sued Laura. Uh-oh. Uh, they wanted the money back. They said the contract was void because it had been signed by JT, an imaginary person. Totally. So Laura, uh, Laura's lawyer said Antidote was really trying to get, uh, like, to back out of doing the movie. The contract was for the book, but the script they ended up with wasn't good. So with the reveal, the director wanted to pivot and use Laura's story, but Laura refused to grant the rights. It
1: would have been crazy if Laura had gone to some, like, small local paper and put in the ad for two weeks of doing business as As, J.T. Leroy. And and then would have been fine. Totally.
2: So Laura lost the lawsuit um, because her, you know, supposition of this was not true. Uh, She was ordered to pay Antidote $116,500 to cover the contract. Plus the damages, mm-hmm. you know, on top of that. And then she had to do $300,000 in legal fees. Oh! Yeah. So there in the time sense, there have been some films about JT Leroy. Uh, 2014's documentary, The Cult of JT Leroy. One of the producers was Stephen Beachy. Oh, I bet he was. Yeah. 2016 <laughs> documentary author, The JT Leroy Story, which is told pretty much from Laura's point of view. Okay. The 2018 movie, JT Leroy, based on Savannah Canoop's 2008 book, Girl, Boy, Girl, stars Kristen Stewart as Savannah slash JT and Laura Dern as Laura slash Speedy. And Laura wants everyone to forget this happened. I bet they do. Quote, I don't talk about my past because I think it will somehow give legitimacy to what I've written. Anyone should be able to do what I did. My background is irrelevant. I don't offer my life's history as any kind of excuse. We should all be able to assume different voices. That's the idea of art, to be able to go to new worlds. And Laura later said that JT was, quote, my respirator. He was my channel for air. To me, if you take my JT, my Jeremy, my other, I die. And she compares JT to Tinkerbell, who exists if you believe, and Bugs Bunny, who does not exist but lives.
1: Okay. So those are both hand drawn. Like they don't, you know what I mean? It's, <laughs> what's,
2: what's your ridiculous take about that?
1: I was in San Francisco at this time and I met a lot of people who use a lot of arguments like this. And I had a, I mean, even just as a graffiti artist, you get to be known as your tag, right? And then you imbue it with this thing and it becomes this thing that's larger than you and people know it and they talk about it and they can, you can hear people talking about this person that is you but is not you. So I, I get it at, at a ground level, but even then, even as somebody who's doing crimes with an imaginary character as my avatar, if you will, you still wanted people to know it was you. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was there was one great graffiti artist, Enemy, and she nobody knew who she was, and we were so proud because we figured it out, right? And then we figured out she was this art student. We were riding the buses. We kept seeing this girl. We're like, so one day we went up the end. We're like, are you Enemy? And she's like. You know, like, don't tell anyone. And we figure, I I know her real name, you know, because she was like, turned out we, you know, anyway, it doesn't matter. But the whole point is her identity was something we wanted to protect. So I understand how she thought people could turn to her and protect her identity. We kept her secret. She asked us, don't tell anybody that it's me. And we're like, of course. And we did. Because you want to. So... This person, Laura, was playing with real human desires to mm-hmm. have community and to look out for people and to identify with another as an outsider. And then was taking all that and only using it for themselves. Yeah. They were not then engaging as we were in the back and forth of the community. When you're an outsider, you have to rely on mutual aid. You have to rely on mm-hmm. honest relationships. You can't have it be that this person is conning you because then they're just one more, you know, crappy criminal you know and she was basically doing that to everybody because they had been hurt this was okay or yeah. because they're an outsider because you're an outsider it's actually less okay
2: well and the audacity to try and like step into the shoes of someone in a marginalized community totally and putting all them disgusting you know mm-hmm. it's so you can't like support the people who need to tell their story here's the thing too She's obviously a great writer. Sure. So, and I can understand this notion of you publish, and then if you find out there's this woman in her 30s, no one's going to listen. But write it as you. Write these characters and demonstrate it. And if you feel like you have to get in, um, you know, to slip in, to get published, use initials in your last name sure. if you feel like. Yeah. But otherwise, let the writing stand for itself, you know? And it's like, but taking on this other persona is just so selfish and so weak.
1: And it's a con. I mean, it's it's, it, it's not respecting the very people you're saying you're doing this for. When well, people write w- under
2: a a non-deplume, yes, but to then take it to the, like this personal level with a ton of people mm-hmm.
1: and doing all the work to pu- yeah. push the lie that you know is a lie. It's not just like there's this figure. Like we're not talking about like uh, as you put a de deplume or some kind of like oh I can't do this because in my real world I'm an accountant and I can't mm-hmm. let people know I'm writing about this. That's a different type of self-protection than what. Yeah. Well, and I mean, done. there
2: are 30-year-old women who get stuff published out there that's really mm-hmm. meaningful. So
1: totally.
2: it's doable.
1: Yeah, completely. I think,
2: too, you know, they, she and her husband enjoyed the trappings of this. I mean, mm-hmm. they got a ton of designer clothes out of it and all this sort sure. of free stuff and just taking advantage. I feel bad for the people who really felt invested in this because they felt like there was a kindred spirit yes. who was speaking yes. their story, too. And it's like— you know, make it a fictionalized The kids
1: thing. who believed in the story.
2: Yeah, exactly. So that's my Ridiculous Takeaway. Thank you for asking. That was
1: great. That was a good one. That's, good story, is, good Ridiculous Takeaway. Thank
2: you. As a dicey one, I got to admit. That was. was a, this was a, a tightrope, I felt.
1: <laughs> it was a lot of knife work.
2: <laughs> but, you know, thank you for following along with me. You can find us online at RidiculousCrime.com. We're on uh, Twitter and Instagram as Ridiculous Crime. You can email us at RidiculousCrime at gmail.com. You can also leave a talk back on the iHeart app. Uh, do we have one for today?
0: Oh my god, did he just say that? I would cheat. Excuse me, you baby girl. How to Oh, so you want me to talk back to you? So I wouldn't talk back to you because I don't know.
2: Uh okay. Uh, that's it. Ridiculous Crime is hosted by Elizabeth Dutton and Zaren Burnett, produced and edited by JT Custin. Research is by Marissa I only let Patty Smith read my work in public, Brown, and Andrea, I'll just be here hiding under the table, Song here. <laughs> the theme song is by Thomas Lee, Travis Dutton and their son Thor. Host <laughs> wardrobe is provided by Botany 500. Executive Producers are New York Times Accounts Payable Clerks Ben Bowen and Noel Brown.
1: Ridiculous Crime. Say it one more time.
0: Ridiculous Crime.
2: Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio.
0: For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury... Matcha!
2: I love matcha, so rich and smooth.
1: Do you love matcha love? Yep, matcha love is the best in the biz. Experience the vitality of the whole tea leaf.
2: So many powerful health benefits.
1: You know what else I love? Sweet treats. You are in luck. Matcha's great for baking. Can you make cookies or cheesecake with
2: matcha? Yes, or your other favorites, ice cream or madeleines. Yes, delicious! Matcha love!
1: Get 25% off all matcha love products on etowin.com. Using code CRIME. That's code C-R-I-M-E at ITOEN.com. Available on Amazon and itoen.com.